0: Hello, I'm Gus Gowland and I am a musical theatre writer and composer. Welcome to the Confidently Creative Podcast with me, your host Jason Ward, and my guest on this episode, musical theatre writer Gus Gowland.
1: I met someone and they promised they would take me to the places I long to go. Take me skiing down a mountain in Montana, take me sightseeing in Mexico.
0: The song you're listening to is Better Late Than Never. It's from Gus Gowland's second produced show, which was called Mayflies. His third show, Candidates, is currently being produced in Guildford. And I started our conversation for this episode by asking Gus how he got started as a writer.
1: Gosh, well, so um, it's one of those things where I trained to be an actor and I worked as an actor for a while. um, And it never really happened for me. Um, as is the case with lots of people. There's a lot of us that try and be performers and for various reasons, we don't quite land that career. Um, and so I started to write because I wanted to be creative. So so I wrote, uh, uh, I co-devised and directed a one woman version of Lorca's Yerma with a friend of mine, which we put on at the Camden Fringe Festival in London. And at the same time, I wrote a one-man musical called Tell Me on a Thursday that I performed in, which was just essentially just lots of um, monologues uh, using stories from my, at that time, very disastrous love and sex life, um, punctuated with some songs. Um, And that was the thing, that show particularly, that was the thing that made me think, maybe I've got something here and maybe I should, sort of refocused my career and I went and studied um, for an MA in musical theatre writing at Goldsmiths, which has sort of set me fully on this trajectory as a musical theatre writer. Up until that point, I was really umming and ahhing about, I knew I wanted to... Do I go and do directing or something, something, you know, still adjacent to performing, but not quite performing? I was like, do I go and do musical theatre specific performing? Because I always love to sing. Um, uh, or I was going to go and do an undergrad in Spanish and Spanish literature and, like, completely go somewhere else. Um, and, uh, yeah, doing Tell Me on a Thursday really made me decide that I wanted to put my energies into writing musical theatre. But I had been writing sort of all my life and not not thinking it was a, a possible career, really, so I I had a Marilyn Monroe biopic before Smash. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I wrote when I was well, I wrote about a third of it when I was about 15. Um, and used a song from it from my like GCSE music submission. Um and I, when I was at drama school, I went to the Royal Scottish Academy, um, or Royal Scottish Conservatoire it is now, um, and I wrote music for uh our final musical that we did it's a new musical but i wrote two songs for it i wrote songs for a play so i'd been doing it sort of loosely and what happened i think is that my acting i was like an actor wanted to be an actor with a bit of sort of writing on the side and at some point that shifted and i was like oh no i'm a writer who who does a bit of performing and i think what i really realized is that um I did a version, uh, production of Macbeth on London's fringe. Um, and it was a friend's company putting it on. And I was just like, Oh, I just need to be in something. I haven't acted for so long. So I did it. And, um, and I loved the process of making the show, of rehearsing of finding the character, all of that. And as soon as we got to the performances, I was kind of over it. Um, you know, I still did my best and hopefully gave good performances, but, um, but it, I was just not interested in it. And it really hit me that I realised that, I ah, oh, yes, the bit, the bit that I like is the making, is being in the room, is building the characters, the story. And actually once it, I, yeah, at some point, I don't know when it happened, but my sort of desire for applause and standing on a stage and that show-offiness somehow shifted and became much more internal.
0: In retrospect, then, do, do you look back and go, oh my God, that was the point when I realised I was going to be a creative or was it much more gradual? It was
1: more gradual. I think, you know, it's like everything leads on to the next step rather than the end. You know, when I when I did tell me on a Thursday, I didn't think, oh, in, in, you know, 10, 15 years time, I'll have had two main house productions of musicals that I'd written. I, re- I just thought, oh, I've... I I maybe have got something here and it would be really good to develop it. So I'm going to do the MA. And even I remember speaking to my friend at the time and she was asking, so what, what are you going to do when you finish your MA? I was like, I don't know. And she was like, would, you know, are you going to be a, you know, you going to write musicals. Is that what you're doing now? And I was like, Oh God, I don't like, you can't write musicals for a job. Like, don't be ridiculous. So I guess, I guess I'll just carry on being an actor and then, but writing a few more shows that I put on myself. I sort of thought it was going to carry on that way Um, and I was really fortunate that my grad piece for my MA was Pieces of String, um, which became my first musical. It got seen by Andy and Wendy Barnes of Perfect Pitch who developed new musicals and they wanted to develop that. So I sort of fell into developing my first show um, and that then I was on that trajectory and I think once once I'd been doing that for a few years um it became clear that that's what I wanted to do and I think 2017 was when I like left my agent I'd already slimmed down to just doing commercials because I was like I don't yeah I wasn't getting enough good stuff anyway but I was getting commercials and I was like they're good money and you know stick, keep your finger in the mix finger in the mix that's the terrible Metaphor—that's not the right phrase. <laughs> I like it as a song <laughs> there we go. Finger in, in the mix. mix. Sounds rude. <laughs> um, so yeah. So um, until about 2017, I was still sort of harbouring some ambitions um, of performing, success, or of getting a part that might do something for me. And then, and then I made the decision to leave my agent completely. And I was really, I was really like, I want it to be my decision to move, walk away from this than just sort of never getting there I was like I think that I think that right. frustration and that sadness might be too much and I was like you know I really need to own it and it I think it really helped give me ownership over my writing career and because it felt like such a choice that I was shifting I think this is I'm on, on a tangent now, not a tangent, but I'm off on one, but I think this is a real thing that happens particularly and i'm 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 sure you will understand this having had a similar background, but when you want to be a performer, um you sort of spend your early years growing up, it's what you want to do. it's such a fixation, and you you know that that's what you're going to do when it's like a vocation, and I think it's really hard to manage your goals changing, when your goal is to be an actor, whether it's to be famous, or whether it's just I want to work with the RC, or whatever your levels are, when you have such a clear vocational goal. And it's one of those things that you get told constantly, oh, it doesn't work for everyone, and you you might get rejected. It's, it's really difficult to to sort of go, oh, actually, I don't want that anymore, because you get drummed into you that you need to want it so much. For it to be, you know, for you to earn your right to have it, um, and I found that really interesting. When suddenly I was like, "Oh no, I don't like that." With that Shakespeare play, I was like, "I don't, I don't really want this anymore." And that's hard. That's a hard rewiring of the brain as well, because it was all I'd wanted. When I saw friends who went to university and were like, "I'm just doing this course because it's a course," I don't actually know what what career I want. And I'd known since I was about eight. I want to be an actor. I'm going to be a performer. And my whole youth had been geared towards getting to drama school and having that route. And then suddenly you come out of drama school and it doesn't go the way you want and you have to realign. It's a, I think so many people go through it and there isn't really, uh, there isn't really a way of managing that apart from just getting through it.
0: Yeah. I think it's two things Gus. First of all, with, with what you say, I I totally understand. I always wanted to be in the theater from an early age and everyone told me you couldn't do it, shouldn't do it. need to get a job all that Mm -hmm. kind of shit. Um, but there is the thing of when you get the thing that you think you wanted, it's not the thing you wanted anymore. Yeah. You know, there is that. And that's just because yeah. people change. That's normal. And um, but that's classic, I don't classic
1: um, musical theatre storytelling, isn't it? The hill, the hill right. behind the hill. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Jack
0: Vitell. That's totally <laughs> you Jack You get Vittell what you want
1: there. and then you realise it isn't what you wanted or needed all along.
0: Exactly. But, yeah. but that's it. And I think the other thing that you just said, after um, Pieces of String was Mm. produced, you made a commitment to your creativity. Mm. And when I speak to other people for for this podcast, there's that same realization. People saying, yeah, we kind of put a show together. We had a bit of fun and then we made a commitment to our creativity Mm -hmm. and then it started to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really difficult to tell people that like you, but you have to show up for it every day.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and it's really hard, you know, financially. I don't, I don't come from money. I don't have money. I, I worked full time while I was doing my MA, did my MA part-time. It was the only way I could afford to do it um, and have, you know, was working consistently. The PhD was a, a job. So I, I was earning very little money to do that, but at least I had the basics and even now like i i teach i love teaching but balancing that teaching with writing and and making sure that you know like i always want to have less time teaching than writing just psychologically i want that balance to be you know in the favor of writing but like i can't afford to not teach even if i wanted to i haven't had my big west end hit you know i haven't got that that moneymaker yet that is being produced all around the world. Um, And I'm not yet, not yet, but I'm fortunate that I love teaching and I, and, you know, I made it, that was another sort of uh, not a commitment to creativity, but a commitment to making my life about musical theatre. When I did my PhD, I was really like, I want to be writing musicals. And if I'm not writing musicals, I want to be working sort of adjacent to them. I want to be studying them, teaching them, working with with performers as they're training and all of that. And the PhD was a way of doing that so that I wouldn't have to be like, okay, I'm working a, an office job that is completely unrelated. And then I've got this creative endeavor. It sort of means my whole world revolves around musicals in different ways. Um, and that I find that very satisfying, challenging at times, but mostly satisfying. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Confidently Creative podcast with me, your host, Jason Ward. And my guest on this episode is musical theatre writer Gus Gowland. Now, you can get access to hundreds of interviews, articles, reviews, podcasts, and playlists by subscribing free of charge to the Jason Ward Creative Substack. You'll find all the links in the show notes. I continued my conversation with Gus by asking him how he feels about the way arts and culture is treated in the UK.
1: Oh gosh. I mean it's a it's a, it's frightening, I think, the lack of support and respect for culture and the arts that that those in power have. Um uh yeah, I think it's really challenging. I think it's really interesting that there's this everything has been turned into a degree, which you know is wonderful, like this sort of idea that that we should be pushing people to go to university and earn degrees um, but some things are challenging to put into a degree format I think I think vocational training is really challenging to sort of academic size and you know there's things that you have to do when you're doing that that aren't necessarily serving the vocational training and I think that makes it harder more challenging um, the things that that people you have to do in higher education establishments to get your funding to do all of this, you know, to you're essentially providing a consumer service because people are paying an awful lot of money, um, and that makes it a slightly different offer than it maybe was. Um, also, it's just like every student that that wants to train now knows that they're doing so, taking on an inordinate amount of debt. I mean, I'm still paying off my student loan, um. Thankfully I don't have very much of it left, but I still have some. And that's what, 20 years since I graduated from my undergrad. And um, wow. so, uh, and I, I, yeah, I didn't, I had, I had no money growing up. Um, and uh, I was the first person in my family to go to university. And I went to to drama school in Scotland, partly because it was the only place I got in, sure, but partly because in Scotland, the fees were so much lower. They co- The drama school in Scotland cost the same as university. So like a thousand and something a year, I think it was then, as opposed to the six, seven, eight, nine grand a year that it was to go to many of the London drama schools. So right. they're ju- it's just so prohibitively expensive. Um, and then because careers in the arts are so precarious, um, and because we have this... Uh, partly because there isn't enough funding into the arts so so the sort of roots into jobs in the arts are really precarious and also because there's this this sort of myth that that lives around art of it being all um of it being all you know just a gift and not actual craft and skill that that people sometimes don't realize that you can work hard at something you know it's just like oh no it will happen or it won't and um I think all of those things make for quite a uh, frustrating uh, view when you look at the future. Give it up, get it out, go harder Push it down, push it through, you gotta Hurry up, slow it down, I wanna Start this again Turn it up, get it out, go harder Let it go, let it be, you gotta Listen in, set it free, I'm gonna Start this again I'm falling down
0: This song is Listen to the Rhythm from Gus Gowland's online show, In Motion. Now, Gus is my guest today on the Confidently Creative podcast, and we were talking about how creativity is treated, and specifically how creatives sometimes talk about our own work. Sometimes we hear people say, oh my goodness, it's so easy, it just comes to me, where other people say it's totally all-consuming. I asked Gus what he thought about this.
1: But I get it, and I think there's a real danger with the way that we speak about creativity. I... um... There's this there's this either either that that you just said which is like it doesn't feel like work like I get to do what I love every day it's a gift I just do it or there's the opposite side which we' seeing quite a lot because we're in Oscar season now so we've got lots of actors very earnestly talking about their what they did and it's like and it's unbelievably like consuming and it's like this was eight years of my life and I lived and breathed and I didn't speak to my family and I wouldn't even look at my cat because my character didn't have a cat and it's so extreme the other way that, that it's just like, just, just act. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can say, I had to do quite a lot of work, you know, because I couldn't just switch this on, but you don't have to to go to the extremes that that people go to. Both of them I think are really unhealthy and not the reality actually. It's just, that's part right. of the performance that they're doing and they're doing it because they want to show that they're gifted or they want to show that they have worked really hard and deserve awards for it. Do you know what I mean, it's like actually something else is going on that isn't to do with the work when people do that. And it annoys me.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It is kind of strange, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's either super easy. Or on the other hand, it's absolutely self-absorbing. And in the end, I think that what we do is kind of a craft. Um, but I do want to get back to your work because I, I love your work. Um, and more specifically the first show that you got produced which was Pieces of String I wonder if you tell us how that came about and and how that happened.
1: So um, it's it's interesting it's different for everyone but this is my experience so far with Pieces so I first saw I saw the tail end of a documentary on Channel 4 in 2003 2002 2003 when I was still at drama school and I just saw the last 10 minutes five minutes or so and it was this old man who was talking about the love of their life and I remember this he said something like um and he had like tubes he was very close to death he was needing help breathing and he was like oh and like it's like a bad penny like um it sort of said with like love and smile in his eyes and then the camera moved across and the partner was a man and another man and I was like oh wow and then I I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I haven't seen... It was a documentary that was about uh, gay-lesbian relationships during Second World War. And what I'd never seen up to that point or didn't know about was relationships that weren't, um, like, awful and terrible, but actually were full of love. I would only really knew about the Nazis' persecution of of homosexuality through plays like Bent, which I think I'd studied at A-level, um, so so it was new to be me, and that and that just struck me. I was like, oh, there's something there's something interesting about that. That's usually why I want to explore something because i'm I'm like, oh, I'm interested in that. I don't know about it. This is a chance for me to to explore it. um And so I remember I wrote a monologue for an old man sort of looking back at his life that was uh and about this relationship that he'd had in the second World War and didn't do anything with that. And then I wrote a song called Pieces of String. And I, I I don't know why, where it came from, but I liked this metaphor of people being pieces of string, of getting knotted together, of fraying, of coming loose, of um, there was something in that imagery. I don't know where it came from, but, but, so I had that, I had this sort of, this bit of an idea and I had a song that I wrote called Pieces of String that didn't do anything. I just had it on a scrap of paper and, and then, when I did my and you know this was now what like six years later or something, I did my m a and we had to come in with pitches for our final grad show, and I brought in two, the other one I might still write, um which was much more of a the other one was much more of a candor and ebb, like old school musical sort of use riffing on that sort of Broadway of the golden age um and then this show. And um and my tutor, who was Julian Wolford, who um is now directing candidates at GSA and runs the musical theatre courses there, um he pushed me towards pieces of string. Thank goodness. Um, partly because there was the financial crash at the time, and the 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 and Ebb show was all about embezzling money, <laughs> and he was a bit like, maybe the the um the audience is not ready to see sort of a fun musical about people stealing money from people, which is a fair point. Um, so then I wrote it for, I started working on it for the MA and I had to, we were given uh, half an hour to 40 minutes of time and we were told we could use that time however we wanted. Some people did, you know, 40 minute excerpts of a two and a half hour show, two act show. Um, the One of the benefits of doing my MA part-time was that I'd been through a year and seen my peers from the first year do their grad shows. And some of them had already done that where they'd shown bits of a bigger show. And I felt like the ones that were just a whole piece for half an hour were more successful. And actually, you know, the audience didn't have to fill in any gaps. So actually that showed off what they could do better. So that's when I was like, I'm going to do that. So I wrote, uh, it was 35 minutes long, I think. Um, and I wrote that, and we put it on, it was amazing, well we had an amazing cast, fantastic, Christian Durham directed it, now I look back, I'm like, I don't know how we managed, we didn't pay anyone, but we managed to get really great people, Um, and then I'd invited Andy and Wendy Barnes from Perfect Pitch, um, just because I knew that they were the people that were developing new musicals, and they came along, and I thought I just I didn't know how it worked so I just thought oh well I hope they see my work and think I'm good and then maybe it maybe I'll write a musical I did like I didn't know that you yeah I had no idea what that would lead to so thank god that they wanted to develop pieces of string because otherwise nothing would have happened because they don't just go come and write a musical for us you know you have to have an idea or something but anyway I met Andy Barnes we had a really amazing meeting he said to me I remember it so well because it meant so much to me. Because he said they wanted to take Piece of String on and develop it and turn it into a two-act show. And I was like, okay, wow, I haven't thought about that. I need to get my head around it because it's half an hour. And I've spent so long getting rid of all of the excess. So, um, but he said to me, I, um, regardless of whether you come with us and develop the show or not, whatever you end up doing, I think you're going to have a really interesting career because you've got a really interesting voice. And it just really meant a lot to me to have that from him, who I knew, knew new musicals. Um, And then I went uh, and did agree to work with them and develop the show. That's like how it came into being. It's a long answer. (laughs) Um, And then their job basically was just to allow me to write and find find people that would um, produce it. So we did a workshop quite quickly where I extended it, added in an extra character uh, just for us. Then sort of every year we did another workshop and the show got slightly longer each time. And at one point we had a quite a starry workshop with Craig Grover Horwood directing a few famous people in the cast. And that was when I was like, this is going to happen. They were talking about a UK tour and actually it wasn't ready yet and timing and everything meant that that didn't happen. But that that was the best thing even though at the time i was like what i this like famous people um so Gus, and so sorry, we just who, kept... who was who was paying for
0: the workshops then how how did that uh-huh. part of it
1: work so paying for the workshops was perfect pitch um for the first couple it was perfect pitch and then um uh, a perfect pitch collaborated with the booking office who were at that point were largely a general managing company who were looking into getting into producing their own work and so they'd been to speak to Perfect Pitch about, like, we want to produce. Have you got anything um, that we can look at? And perf- and Piece of String was one of the shows that they showed to them and said, we've got this show. And they liked it. So they came on board. And so after a couple of workshops, they then came on board and they started funding. Um, I think they might have been the people that brought in Craig grover Um Yeah, and they started funding it. Um, and Mercury Theatre had seen one of the sharings and really liked it. Then they came to one a bit later and were less keen. They'd sort of gone off it. I don't, don't, don't know why or what I'd done to it in that time. And then they came back to it sort of the next year. And obviously I'd fixed the things that they didn't like before. And then they came on board and decided that they were gonna produce it. But that was the, I graduated in 2011. And the show was on in 2018. So it was basically seven years of of a workshop every year, essentially. Um, you
0: you never lost faith in the piece.
1: Not in the piece, no. Um in myself, in the industry, in um yeah, it's there's something that I think this is really important because I've been feeling it a lot lately, is that in this industry you get you get sort of lots of dangled, and it this industry is just full of what might be maybe you're going to have a west end run maybe you're going to have a uk tour maybe you're going to have a show produced in another language all of these things and in order for them to almost happen people have to very seriously start working and having conversations and that makes it feel like they are almost real and then they don't happen because that a million things need to happen for those for things to go right, you know, for money and timing and all of that. And that can feel really deflating and like a failure. And I think what I'm really working on at the moment is that of not letting what might have been take away from what was. Because actually there were some things that were going to happen with pieces of string that that haven't quite panned out yet. It's things are still bubbling away but but some possibilities that i was like ah and then they didn't happen and it made me go oh oh what a shame you know and then and it's important that you go well hang on i have had a successful run at mercury you know it got me a next step up the ladder it's like it, it, yeah it's very easy to let the things that don't happen take away from the things that you actually have achieved um and and yeah i just want to say that because i think it's it's a thing that I'm still grappling with, and I think a lot of people, yeah, you get promised things and uh, because that's the nature of the industry, and it's it's hard when they don't happen. Right. Um, I think that's
0: a really important point. Um, I kind of like that as a headline as well, actually. But I think also it's really important, like, you wrote a show that was produced by a theatre.
1: Yeah, you totally. Know,
0: like, And not just yeah. one, because then after Pieces of String you did was made
1: straight after that yeah that well i mean it was five years but um but it was the next show that i've had produced like full show so sorry can i Um, ask how did you
0: how did you park pieces of string like emotionally and creatively Mm -hmm. how did you park that and say right now i'm doing the next show
1: well um i sort of haven't in that pieces of string is still bubbling away. We did a workshop of it last year, <laughs> um, which was a presentation to some some quite big people about another life that it might have. So I, d- I did some rewrites on it. Essentially, the version that we did in 2018, after that, I s- disappeared for a year and finished my PhD. And I emerged from my PhD at the beginning of the pandemic. So obviously, then we lost two years. So a lot of the changes that I was making are things that, had we been in a more normal situation, I might have made those changes immediately. And then we would have had another run within five, six months. Actually, what happened is it's ended up being five years and the landscape's changed and money is different. So we're working harder than we maybe could have done if things had been different. Um, But so there were always this, there was always this, at some point, I'm going to go and fix the things that now we've seen it on stage, we know we want to fix, which is largely what I've done. Um, And then it's been, the show is optioned by Global Musicals, who produce Six and Fortitude Balloons, Choir of Man, and Alchemation, um, who are a Broadway company, um, which let me tell you, the thrill of Kevin McCollum, who runs Alchemation, Signing on to option my show, like I'm a rent head. Um, I have a massive rent poster on my wall. I've got a picture of me as a teenager outside the theatre with rent. Like that was the show for me. So for one of the original producers of rent to option my show, I was like, that is the win right there. Um, But so so I've still been working on it. You know, it just it just sort of sits down and then every now and then. uh, And I'm writing a novel. Of it at the moment or trying to just as a like creative endeavor to explore different writing Um, but um i uh yeah so it was it's never gone away but then mayflies i just it was time to start really cracking on with something new um and mayflies just sort of came along um at the right time to be like okay i'm ready for a new show now it's
0: easy to say i'm in love this is it you're the one and before the day is done i'm counting my blessings i'm counting the hours i'm making you breakfast i'm buying you flowers i'm putting up pictures i'm painting This song is Running On Empty, performed by the incredible Rummy Sutton from Mayflies, which is Gus Gowland's show, which ran recently at the York Theatre Royal. Gus Gowland is my guest today on the Confidently Creative podcast. And we were talking about how theatre had to close down during the pandemic and how that affected loads of creatives. And I wanted to know how Gus got through that particularly difficult time.
1: I did. wrote an EP of pop songs with a friend of mine, Craig Mather, who was in... um, pieces of string we wrote that over whatsapp during lockdown um which was just all about mental health and us sort of yeah and it was really fun and i just wrote lyrics for that he wrote music um i also had a, a short audio musical that i'd written which actually i wrote originally as part of my ma a 10 minute musical that then i adapted um as a podcast musical that subway? subway yeah yeah so, I did that. So, I was doing other little things and I was writing, I wrote quite a few songs for things like co- online concerts during the pandemic and things like that. I got, I was writing lots of songs. So, I was still being creative, but just not on a full show. Right. Um, and then, and then I had the idea for Mayflies and I was away in the like world's quickest musical. Yeah. Maybe ever. you
0: can explain the concept of Mayflies because it's kind of unique and I think it's
1: wonderful. So, Mayflies is a two hander. So two characters, and it's a love story, Um, and it uses the life cycle of a mayfly as a metaphor for a relationship. Um, So mayflies famously live and die in a day. What I didn't know until I saw a documentary, documentaries are useful for me, it turns out, Um, was that mayflies have an incubation period that is considered part of their life cycle that lasts for up to two years. And I was like, oh, okay. So we all know about the live and die in a day, but actually, there's almost two years where they're sort of we don't see them, where but they're they're alive, and and I don't and that just felt like um, a really useful metaphor for sort of an online relationship, for something that really builds and grows. And so that's what I that's what it became. It became this relationship across three different times. One was this two year online period one was then the night that they meet and then the next was the morning after you know and seeing the fallout from that and we we jump between all three of those times so you get the juxtaposition i mean i love this i did it in piece of string but with uh you know the 1940s and the early 2000s this idea of of putting the juxtaposition of people and moments against each other and letting that do the work and so it's lovely when you see people arguing and then you immediately cut to them saying how much they love each other online you know I think I find that really interesting um and the other sort of concept on top of mayflies is that um I wrote it to be playable by anybody regardless of age, gender, race, sexuality ability um and so we in the original production we did at York, we cast three actors and they rotated so. There were three different possible pairings that you could see, and people came to see all three, which I loved. Um, so yeah, so there was either two uh, two women, or a guy with a woman who was slightly older than him, or the guy and the woman who was slightly younger than him. Um, and it was just, it was, it was amazing to see how differently those um, makeups changed the way that people saw the show and and felt the show
0: now that's incredible and I love the music as well and I wanted to ask you about your musical inspirations because some people might say that your music has got that sort of Jason Robert Brown Stephen Schwartz pop edge but then you see in pieces of string there's kind of layers of Sondheim in there as well so who was your musical inspiration
1: um all of those people yeah Sondheim you can't be a writer of musicals and not be inspired by Sondheim I don't think um yeah, I love Jason Brown. I discovered Songs for a New World when I was at uni, and that was like a revelation. Um, I love Stephen Schwartz for his poppiness. Um uh I really love William Finn, um, particularly elegies, which is his song cycle. I'm writing a song cycle at the moment, which is sort of my um my love letter to to William Finn. Um yeah, so like everyone, but I, you know, I love, I love, um, my fair lady. I love, Fiddler on the roof. Um, I love how to succeed in business without really trying. I sort of a magpie, you know. It's like I, I love musical theatre as a genre, um, as an art form, and so I'm not within that. I have like love and take inspiration from all different types. Whether it's super poppy, whether it's super um, You know, like Adam Gettle, Light in the Piazza stuff. Um, I think I can learn from all of it. And then I love pop music.
0: You're listening to the Confidently Creative Podcast with me, your host, Jason Ward. My guest on this episode is musical theatre writer Gus Gowland. Now, if you would like access to over 100 articles, interviews, reviews, podcasts and playlists you can subscribe to the Jason Ward Creative Substack by following the links in the show notes. Now, Gus is a wonderfully talented writer. He also has some great views on the state of UK theatre at the moment, Uh, more specifically, long-running shows. And I asked him to tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Um, I'll start by saying I love so many of the long players. Like Les Mis was another show that was like foundational for me. Seeing the the 10th anniversary Dreamcast concert. I remember it like so clearly stumbling upon it on TV um, in the 90s. Um, And yeah, I love it. I loved Miss Saigon growing up. Um, So I love those big shows, but I don't think a show, and this is easy for me to say because I haven't had a show. If I had a show that was a big long runner, I might be like, please don't take it off because I want to keep getting my money. Um, but I think there should probably be a five-year limit, definitely a 10-year limit, um, maybe 10 years, to be fair. But I just think that actually I would much rather see, yeah, reinterpretations of a show, and a good show can can withstand that. It doesn't mean it needs to be radical all the time. Um, like, I don't necessarily think that a radical My Fair Lady is going to work. Someone will probably prove me wrong. Um, but it's one of those shows that like probably needs to be done fairly in a fairly straightforward manner, and I think that's fine. We can d- bring it back and do revivals, and it has a place. Um, but but yeah, the long runners like Lame is, I would love to see a new version of that.
0: But how do you feel? You know, if you say the show should run for five years, ten years, then should it be? Should you get in a new direct? Like mm-hmm. the Mousetrap had a new director, didn't it
1: every yeah. year? No, I'm like just let it run in its production, but just let there be a time limit and then and then it can be revived. I mean, cabaret is revived constantly. And every revival of cabaret gives it a, a really unique spin, I think. That's like a variation on a theme, but like sort of makes it its own thing. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that you know Sondheim. Is so brilliant is that, well, he never had the big long running hit, so this wasn't a problem that he had to deal with. But actually his work right. constantly gets reinterpreted because it there aren't defining productions. Now it's it's uh, you know, if you try and do lame is it's so iconic, you know, the production, the the aesthetic of it, that doing it differently, you've got to fight so hard against that. And uh, I still think it should happen, but I'm, I think it makes the work even harder. Um, but yeah, like I said, look, if I'd if i if I'd written a show that was running for 10 years and, and was still making a fortune every week, I'm sure I, I wouldn't want to take it off because I'm like, it's, people are enjoying it. Why, yeah. why take it off just to give a new version? If it's still selling, then it means that people still want it. So artistically, I think I would like there to be more Room for those long-running shows to be revived and challenged, and also obviously to make room for new shows, which is happening more and more post-pandemic, because there are less of these big long runners. So many more shows are going in for limited runs to the West End.
0: Right. Yeah, I think there's definitely changes happening, and that that's, that's got to be good to see. Um, I wanted to get back to Mayflies because, as I said before, I really love the show. Um, well, now you played at York Theatre Royal, and you got some great reviews. You got some, what I might term, strange reviews. But I wanted to ask you what it feels like when you're getting that sort of feedback from people.
1: Uh, it's really, it's tough. Uh, it's really tough when you get such a mixture as well because we've got five-star reviews. we got, got, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone was like, this is like, what you know, it's, it's incredibly innovative. It's like the future of what musical, it pushes the musical theatre form. Which is like, oh my god, yes, you get it, and then other ones that are a bit like, yeah, I don't really care, you know. And I get that, like, if you don't, if you don't care about the characters, then Mayflies might be a quite difficult evening for you because you're not engaged. And but I sat in that theatre for every show, um, and I, you know, watched people crying and heard them laughing, and people came back. So it's so for me, I'm like that's really the important thing and the same with piece of string like piece of string did really well critically uh and from audience's point of view but the most important thing really is that i got i got emails and letters from people that were like genuinely this has changed my life or my relationship with my parents i had some parents write to me that be like i i can understand my child now in a way that i didn't And that was not what I intended to do, but I think because I wrote it from an authentic point of view, I put a lot of my own demons with dealing with my sexuality growing up and all of that sort of went into it, even though none of the characters are sort of ciphers for me or my family, but the emotions that I felt were in there. And I think that reads in the show and the same with Mayflies. It's not, it's not at all a thing that's happened to me, but there's enough of of how i felt in relationships of the hope that something's going to work out or the failure when you know the disappointment when it doesn't that people yeah it means something to people and so that's the important thing i mean i would love to get five stars across the board please but um right but yeah um i haven't had a pan yet like you know and a show that has out and out been like this is everyone thinks this is terrible so
0: Right, so let's not put that thought out there. Um, But there's something else that you mentioned there, uh, which I talk to creatives about all the time. It's these kind of how do you measure your creative success? And I think there are three steps. And step one is you like it. Step two, an audience likes it. Obviously, that's important. And step three, which you've achieved in this case, is that you inspire someone. And you inspired someone so much with this show, they actually took the time to write a letter and tell you how you changed their life. That must be very rewarding.
1: I think what makes that even more magical is that that's the bit that you really have no control over. Like, you you just have to write something that you like and that you're proud of and that, you know, you care about. And if you do that, then the hope is that someone else will will care about it too and like it. Um, and then it having any further impact is just like completely outside of your control. And I think that really is what makes it even more magical. You know, I just want people to have a nice night at the theatre. So if it does anything more than that, that's like, that's extraordinary, you know. And I know as someone who, who, you know, ha- saw Rent when I was a teenager and it changed my life. Like, I know I'm a fan, first and foremost, and I know what the impact of of seeing a show can do.
0: You're listening to the Confidently Creative Podcast with me, your host, Jason Ward. My guest on this episode is musical theatre writer, Gus Gowland. We were talking about his show, Mayflies, which was produced at the York Theatre Royal, and I wanted to know if the show will be produced or developed further.
1: Yeah, hopefully. We've had some meetings with uh, some producers that are interested in it, we're at that point now where it all comes down to finances and whether they can make it work. It's, it's an incredibly producible show because it has a cast of two, more if you want to ro- do rotation or anything like that, um, but you can do it with just two. And essentially it has one set, um, it has a hotel room, um, all of the online stuff can be done in quite an abstract way. Even the hotel room, you could do it on a bare stage, like something like Cock that Mike Bartlett play, which was done on a bare stage recently. It would work like that. So it's very producible. Um, so in terms of of costs of musicals, it's pretty cheap. So I'm hoping that people can find the money for it. But we've got alongside the UK, there's there's quite a lot of interest in it from overseas um in the us and in europe so it's just lots and lots of conversations at the moment and with those dangling carrots i have no idea what if any of them are going to come to fruition but um i definitely think it deserves another show i'd like i just want more people to see it basically we ran for two weeks in york we ran over train strikes and coronation weekend so we were up against it um and yeah, I would like it to have a further life, so I'm I'm trying. And the EP really helps, which is great. So people were hearing the songs and liking them. So fingers crossed.
0: And you had the EP featured on EP? And, uh, honestly,
1: tune. I've been trying to get on EP on Sunday for years. Uh, for some reason, we weren't We've never been able to get on with with piece of string. I don't know why. Maybe because a lot of the songs have quite a lot of dialogue in them and. Maybe aren't so radio friendly, but um, yeah, it was a thrill because Elaine Page was like when I was growing up, she was like she's the queen of British musical theatre,
0: yeah, she definitely is. And it's great to hear her supporting new musical theatre writing as well. Now, speaking of new writing, you have a new show called Candidates, which is being produced at the Guildford School of Acting. How's all that going?
1: It's great, it's a really amazing experience. I think, I think because I've I, you know, i taught quite a lot, um, I'm quite familiar with working with younger people at the sort of beginning of their careers. These are MFA students. So they're slightly older. They've they've all gone through an undergrad, um, but I mean, they're still children in comparison to me, um, uh, but they're just, they're just great. Like it's so brilliant working with talent, you know, and seeing these students and just being like, Oh God, like if you get the, opportunities that you I hope you get because as we know the industry isn't a meritocracy um, then like you're going to have an amazing career because you have the talent for it so that's brilliant I got to work with them I went down for a day a week for for a month just to work with them at the beginning of the process to like help build Backstories, workshop ideas, and then and then went away and wrote it. So as I was writing it, although I already had the the idea before I started working with them, I did have in mind like I knew them a little bit and their capabilities. And I didn't know who was going to be cast in what role. So it wasn't being written for them, but like absolutely their contribution has been really helpful. Also, it's a high school musical um i've written it because i love those teen movies and i want it sort of my homage to those films that i adore um but they are far closer in age to the characters so they can really help with a level of authenticity um which is useful
0: right and you it's based on much do about nothing
1: yes yeah explain so I, <laughs> I love much ado about nothing um yeah, it's one of those things that I feel like quite a lot of things in my life have really long gestation periods, like pieces of string was sort of bubbling away for years before it became pieces of string. And I did, I studied much to do about nothing for G- GCSE or year nine, I think, at school in English and loved it. I was a bit obsessed with the Ken Branner Emma Thompson set. My little working class boy, they seemed so incredibly glamorous and posh. And I was like, I want to be an actor and that's what I want to be um so I loved that that then when I auditioned to get into drama school I got in with a Benedict speech um where I essentially just copied Ken Branagh's performance from the film <laughs> um so it's been like I it's been a show that I've just loved and and I never the only role that I ever was like I really want to play that role if I had a dream role was Benedict like anything else I'm like, I don't care just employ me but I'd love to have played Benedict um so I just knew that I wanted to do something with it because I loved it. And it's the archetype for musical comedy. Um, every single musical has these opposing, you know, these these lead characters that hate each other, but actually they love each other. We see it in Oklahoma. We see it in uh, everything. Um, so I was like, oh, well, it is a musical theatre, musical comedy couple. Um, so that's why I wanted to do that. Um, I also wanted to adapt something. I'm incredibly proud of the fact that I've had two main house productions on and both of them have been complete originals. I don't, like, to blow my own trumpet, I don't know that there's anyone else that's done that in the UK. Um, And so I'm really, really proud of that. Um, But I also wanted to prove that I can adapt something. Um, And also it's very hard selling a show that doesn't have existing IP. You know, with Pieces of String and Mayflies, you've got you've got the challenge of me not being known and and people not knowing my work or who I am and then not knowing the title or the story so uh so I you know this was a way of going okay I'm going to show that I can adapt something I'm going to write something that's super fun that doesn't mind my own personal trauma about love or relationships uh and and just yeah and is based on something that people know so Essentially, I just say the elevator pitches, it's much to do about Nothing Meets Mean Girls. Um, and I think people, that's a really good summing up of what the show is and people will come and see it and get that, you know. It's probably my most out-and-out pop score that I've written, which was really fun. It's definitely my most out-and-out. It's just pretty much funny um, or trying to be right. So, no, it is funny.
0: I'm sure it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but I wanted to know, musically, are you heading back towards where you were with In Motion, that kind of six fantastically great women cake vibe? Is, is it poppy and dancey like that?
1: Uh, it's uh, it's probably more musical theatre than that. Um, I feel like I've sort of, yeah, it's it's less out and out pop than, than some of those shows, which I would say are very much pop shows this is like pop musical theater um but it's definitely the songs are the most this is a song that then then I've written before um yeah and I and I you know I drew a lot of inspiration from pop music for this score you know my mood my like sonic mood board was was no musical theater essentially um, so I think that has influenced it. Um, but it's challenging. It's hard writing in that form because pop songs don't develop. They don't go anywhere. Right. Um, so in order for the songs to be doing something dramaturgically, they have to go somewhere, and just by doing that, they stop being pop songs right. instantly. Um, and, yeah, and there are shows that, you know, like, I think a lot of Six doesn't do that. It doesn't dramaturgically move on. They just live in their world and the format really supports that. But I think telling this story that has like a whole narrative through line, it's hard to do that because the audience just gets bored.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a tough challenge creatively, isn't it? Um, candidates opens, I believe, on the 22nd of February 2024. So if you are listening after this, you might have missed it. Apologies. Um, but after Candidates, what's next for Gus Gowland?
1: yeah i don't know at the moment um i was thinking about that the other day i was working on again a, a carrot that's been dangled that has now gone away so i had something lined up that is now not lined up so i've got a bit of space now so i'm starting to think about what is next i've got a show that i'm collaborating on with amon o'dwyer who's a phenomenal composer lyricist um, that we haven't started yet apart from had the idea so um, it might be time to get cracking with that. I've got my LGBTQ plus song cycle, Lifeboats, which I did a sort of uh, in-progress performance of at The King's Head last summer. Uh, I'd like to get that finished and get that on. Um, and then, you know, Pieces of String is uh, some carrots disappeared and some new carrots have appeared very recently. So I will pursue those and see what happens with that, save with Mayflies. So it's like... I'll be working on a couple of new things but also just trying to get the next life for the three shows that I have happening. Right. Um, I feel
0: like you're yeah. balancing the creative and the commercial at the moment. That sort of feels to me a little bit where you are.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's uh yeah, definitely. And I think and it's a challenge because I'm not a producer, so I'm sort of you know, I I'm, I that's not my world. Um, and there are other people that are doing it, but you've still got to do the the legwork to get those people to do it. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge. But also, I'm writing I'm writing the piece of string novel, which is a which, like I say, is just, at the moment has no end goal. Um, I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day. I'm just doing it because I'm interested. I had the opening in my head for a long time. People have said this would make a really good book, and I'm like. Okay, great. And then I had I knew how it would open. I was like, I'm just going to sit down and write that opening, and I did, and I enjoyed it. So I'm now two chapters in, and I'm just writing and seeing what happens. And I'll reach a point where I I either don't finish it, or I finish it and go, great, I did that. It goes in a drawer. Had that experience, or I'll try and get it published. I don't know yet. We'll see. But it's good for my creative brain.
0: Wow, that is a big creative project, Gus. And uh, good luck with all of that. I also want to thank you for sharing your time with us today here on the Confidently Creative Podcast. I've learned so much and I wish you so much success with your future projects. I want to finish by asking what your advice would be for a young working class person who wants a career in the arts today. What would you tell them?
1: So I would just say to anyone that wants to do it, you can do it. Um, and you just, you've just got to try Like and figure out what what you want to do. Do you want to write? Do you want to perform? You know, obviously, if you want to perform, the route to go down is to try and go to drama school, um, conservatory training. That's very challenging financially. I understand that. There, there are lots of provisions in place, lots of loans you can get. And at least student loans are better than normal loans in what you pay back. But um, it's like it's like being a writer, that whole thing of like, if you write something, you are a writer. Um and if you want to write something, just write something, then you can do the work of trying to get it out. But actually then no one can take away from you the thing you made. And that is a really powerful thing. Like it's it, it's frustrating when the thing you made doesn't get seen by people, um, for sure, but like you still made it. And that's the thing that I love about being a, a, a writer as opposed to being a performer is that performer, I'm so reliant on other people giving me the opportunity to make something. Um, but a writer, I can sit down this afternoon and write a song, write a scene, write a, a treatment for something. And it exists already, you know, and I've made that and no one can take that away. And I think there's incredible power in that and autonomy of that, that, I think is really important.
0: Thank you for listening to the Confidently Creative Podcast with me, your host, Jason Ward, and my guest on this episode, Gus Gowland, musical theatre writer. You can find the links to all of Gus's work in the show notes. And if you would like access to over 100 articles, interviews, reviews, podcasts and playlists, then you can subscribe to the Jason Ward Creative Substack. You'll find all the links once again to that in the show notes. confidently creative podcast is written recorded and produced by me and thank you so much for spending your time with me there's plenty more episodes to listen to if you go to the jason ward creative Substack. i'll see you on the next one thank you